0: Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to the Bible Immersion podcast by The Well Madeira, where we exist to point people to the hope and love and the wholeness found only in Jesus Christ. And the heart and the vision of this podcast is to do that by showing how every single story of Scripture snaps together to shape the one true story of Jesus and we're calling this podcast Bible Immersion because we recognize that reading the Bible is its a lot like learning a new language. Uh, not only that, it's like stepping back into a completely new and unfamiliar time zone in a culture and a context that expects you to be fluent in their history and cultural traditions and even their inside jokes And as we all know, the best way to learn another language is to completely immerse yourself in the culture and force yourself to begin thinking about everything through the life and the eyes and the language of that culture. And this is what the Bible's inviting you and me to do. We immerse ourselves in the story and we allow it to shape our identity as we begin to see that even a few thousand years later, we are still living within this same one true story. So as we walk line by line through the scriptures to know who God is and what he's like and what it means to be human as we're shaped by the story of Jesus, come with us and see how this divine gift of the scriptures points us to the past to inspire hope for the future. So good to have you. So we're, yeah, we're just warming up with some Proverbs 20, verse four, Proverbs 20, verse four. And it talks about how the lazy farmer does not plow in the winter. Um, and then he goes out at harvest time looking for the fruit, the produce, and there's nothing out there. And, um, I'm so grateful for Dave and Sharon. You guys, uh, brought some plants by yesterday that I get to Put in the ground, so some cantaloupe and sunflower and all that I'm super excited about and uh, rosemary bush, so I'm so grateful for that. Guys, I've been having a ton of fun just trying to learn um, a little bit about agriculture. It's just really, really fun to see how things grow and um, it it looks like my internet's unstable. Are you guys hearing me okay? Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know. Every once in a while, it's popping up on my screen that my internet's (laughs) unstable, Um, but anyway... So must have ATT. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do, Dennis. Yeah, we're we're thinking about making a jump here cuz I'm I'm freezing all the time and I don't know what the deal is, but we'll see. We'll figure it out. But anyway, um, the lazy farmer doesn't plow in the winter and then during harvest he goes out looking for all the good stuff that should be out there, but he hasn't done done the work. And I, I think of what the proverb is laying out for us is this short-sighted farmer um, is is expecting results but not willing to put the work in on the front end. But a but a kind of a visionary farmer is someone who says, "Man, even in the winter, the hardest time to do work. Right, the ground's hard. You don't see any results. You're you're working hard. You're preparing the soil. You're doing all these things." But you won't see any results for six, seven, eight months. Um, but you you think with that mindset, I do the hard work now, and I get to enjoy the produce, the results, months from now during harvest. And, uh, man, I tell you what, the longer I'm in the church, I, I realize that uh, it's really beautiful to see Christians, followers of Jesus, with that mindset that I'll do the hard work now. I trust by faith, and in the finished work of Jesus. And in light of that, I want to cultivate relationship with him through time in the word, time in prayer. Um, And then from that will come fruit, will come growth. You know, Paul picks up that in Galatians and talks about the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. And these things that will be produced in us that are Christ-like when we cultivate a, a relationship with him through the word, through prayer, through community. And all that to say, I was on the phone with a, a pastor friend of mine this week, and um, you know we, we were just talking about how just a, an observation he's made in his church is that those who have cultivated uh, really healthy spiritual disciplines, so time in the Word with Jesus, time in prayer, time in community, even through, through Zoom, have really thrived and flourished through shelter in place. They've actually grown in their walk with Jesus, and they're, they're loving their time in the Bible. They're loving time in prayer. They're loving uh, conversation and Bible study with their brothers and sisters on Zoom. But what Shelter-in-Place has done is is they, it's really exposed those who have no spiritual disciplines, have not cultivated any type of walk with Jesus on their own, they just show up on Sunday and kind of treat it like a spiritual gas station. They they show up on Sunday, hey, fill me up, you know, I need to be encouraged for the week and I'll be back next Sunday. But they don't have a walk throughout the week with Jesus and with their brothers and their sisters. And so I don't say that to be harsh or condemning on anyone that's that's really having a hard time because I do not want to undermine the value of Sunday gatherings. Sunday gatherings are so valuable, and, and we can't wait to be together in person again. We're wired for community. We need each other. That's that's the reality. So we, we look forward to that. But um, I just want to really applaud, uh, especially this group right here. You guys have really pressed on and pressed through. You've remained faithful here at 6 in the morning. Zoom, I know, can be tricky. It's frustrating when it freezes. It's hard to wake up at 5 something in the morning and be like, here we go. You know, we're getting right in the Bible. But I just want to applaud you guys because you have cultivated and and are cultivating those spiritual disciplines of walking with Jesus throughout the week, not just on Sunday, and I imagine, though there have been tough and frustrating moments through shelter in place, you've you and I have grown in our walk with Jesus and our our disciplines in the Word and prayer and in community. So that's just something, a little something from Proverbs twenty that's been on my mind and my heart. Um, any anything else you guys see in there, or you would add to that? All right. Well, let's rock and roll. Let's get to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And uh, Sean Sean Young has given me the opportunity to to walk us through it this morning. And then uh, he's going to jump in and and add his thoughts as we go. But uh, you guys are stuck with me this morning. So chapter 4. And let's go. uh, When you guys get over to Genesis 4, will somebody just read verse 1? So verse 1.
1: now the man had relations with his wife eve and she conceived and gave birth to cain and she said i have gotten a man child with the help of the lord
0: all right thank you um does anybody have in their reading a Genesis 4, the word um, Adam knew his wife? I have made love to his wife. Yeah. What translation is that?
2: <laughs>
0: NIV. Oh, is it? Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. That they just go, they just come right out and say it, don't they? They just go right. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah.
3: huh. gave birth to King. So.
0: That's so good. Well, I just want to highlight um, in in the Hebrew, um, the word, you'll see this word quite a bit, and it's uh, the word new or know is, is yada, and it's to know intimately. And obviously in this context, we know right away. Um, I mean, I love it. It just comes out to says, Adam
2: made love
0: to his wife, and then they uh, have a kiddo. Um, but it but it's pretty cool because if you follow that word yada to know throughout scripture hold on just a second okay um, throughout scripture um, it's it's not always sexual in nature it's it's really this idea of in, intimacy it's this closeness it's this relational um, this this relational experience um, and so it's crazy if you if you walk throughout the Old Testament and then the New Testament, this idea of no is really strong. And what we would now say kind of on this side of the cross is you can know about God or you can know God. Um, un- unfortunately and sadly, a lot of people know stuff about God, but they don't have that relationship with him. As we were just talking about walking with him, knowing him, there's an intimacy there, so it's not always sexual in nature as as much as um, relationship to truly know somebody um, and to be in connection with them. And so, um, you know, it's so different for somebody to say, "Hey, I've, I've you know I've made a profession and I believe I'm a Christian and Jesus died for my sins," and then they go live their life however they want. But then to say, "Well, now I'm I'm walking in a in a relationship with Him." Um, is, is a big difference. So uh, so anyway, verse 1. So they, um, they have their firstborn son, Adam and Eve, here. Um, and let's back up real quick, maybe just for a, a short summary's sake. Where are Adam and Eve at this point? In light of where we wrapped up in Genesis 3, where do Adam and Eve find themselves geographically, I guess you could say right now?
1: Outside of Eden, yeah. somewhere
0: exactly. Yeah, just a good. I think is just a good reminder for us. I, um, so I think they're. I think they're outside
3: where the tree of life and the tree of knowledge are, but I still think they're in Eden. In you see, I know, I, I, the, they may be out of the garden, but I still think they're in Eden. And it goes to later on in chapter four. Where they were, Cain is sent,
0: yeah, Out,
1: outside, yeah. and
3: it specifically says that he was sent to Nod. Maybe I'm jumping too far ahead here, which is east <laughs> of
0: Eden. Yeah, spoiler alert. No, yeah. no, I think that's a really good observation, yeah. Spoiler
2: alert.
0: yeah. I think that's a really good observation, Dennis, because, yeah, we're going to see, which we'll talk about if we get that far this morning, that he goes east of Eden. So to me, that tells me generally they stayed somewhere right near the garden, somewhere near Eden, I think, when they first start here. Now, let's let's back up. Where else are they going to go? Right, I know, right? Like, this this place was the best. Where else do we want to go? Um, let's. So just a, a refresher for all of us. Why... Is it that they're no longer have access to the garden? Why do they find themselves outside of the garden here where we pick up in Genesis 4? They
3: disobeyed God.
0: Yeah, disobeyed God. And then we saw in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, or really 22 through 24, that God drives them out of the garden. Why does God drive them out of the garden?
1: And it says here to cultivate the ground from which he was taken.
0: Hold on. Sorry. Where are you seeing that, Susan?
1: Oh, the, the second part of verse
0: 23. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did, yeah, that's hmm. a good observation. There yeah. Which one was it? Verse 23 of chapter 3. Yeah.
1: It says, The Lord sent him out from the garden... To cultivate the ground from which he was taken.
0: Yeah, that's that, strange. That is that's a really good, uh, really good catch. That wasn't necessarily where I was going with it, but that that is a good catch of of um, him being sent out. And I think that's tied as well to the curse that we saw in verses fourteen through nineteen. That now Adam's lot is going to be as it always has been, to work the ground, to cultivate it, to keep uh-huh. it, to make life come from the ground, right? And what would have been really easy and natural and I think very enjoyable work is now going to be more laborious. It's, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a fight with the ground to produce uh, life. Uh, but it's still his lot. It's still his vocation. Uh, uh-huh. So that's a good point. Uh, I think you find in verse 23 that God doesn't say, well, you know, I'm completely changing your calling, your purpose, your vocation. You're still going to do what I've made you to do, but unfortunately, because of sin, it's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be a struggle. Um,
3: it it but, appears. It appears
0: to me that they
3: put that he banished them to the east side of
1: of the garden. Of the garden.
0: Yeah, I think so. Which, yep. good, good catch again. So we'll get to that in, what is that, verse 16, 16, 17, chapter 4. So No, I'm, that's in verse...
1: Well, 24 24.
0: Yeah. hmm But I'm saying chapter 4. Yeah, but oh, I, okay. you were talking about where
3: did they go, and they went to the east of Eden as well.
0: hmm Yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm, I I agree. So we'll pick up there. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying, verse 24, just east of the garden. So that's, they're just, just. I would say, geographically, I don't know it matters a ton, ton, but that right now in the story, they find themselves just outside the garden. Dennis and Susan, I agree, just east of the garden right there, which we'll talk about in just a, a second when we get to it, and then we'll see what happens after that. Now, backing up a little bit more, um, if you were to look at verse before Susan's ob- observation in 23, uh, look at verse 22 of, of chapter 3. Why, and Sean really stressed this for us and, and I think brought good light to it. Why does God say Adam and Eve can no longer be in the garden? Yes, because of their disobedience. But what's the potential danger if they stay in the garden in their current state? Eat, eat from the tree of life. Yeah, and then what happens? And live forever. Yeah, they'll live forever. What's wrong? What What would be the negative of that?
2: They
0: would live forever in the state of sin. Exactly. So they're they're in this state of sin, um, like separate. So now this state of of sin that leads to death. So then, if they eat from the tree of life, they'll be trapped in this this eternal state of sinfulness and selfishness that we've seen. And so, Sean, I, you know, once again, I'm just grateful for the way he has helped me see Genesis in many ways. Is, you know, we see this act of banishment as typically a harsh punishment, and it, it is. It's an act of justice on the behalf of God, but it's also an act of mercy to say, "I don't want you in here, trapped in your sinfulness. I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to find a way to bring you back in." And really, if you're to follow the story of the Bible, it's all about God saying humanity, I'm going to make a way for you to come back into the garden with me. And uh, the rest of the story, really, if you are to keep those lenses important. So, okay, I think we're tracking well here. We're in a good spot here. So take a look now uh, back at verse 1 of chapter 4. Adam knew his wife, um, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Just by how, you know, how parents name their kids is really significant throughout scripture. Um, Right away. um, What do you think Eve is saying by what she names Cain here? I don't think by the way it's it I don't think she's picking on Adam saying he's he's a pansy and finally uh you know she's got a man in the house. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's the what she's saying about Cain. Um maybe just to drop a hint, it would go back to what Dave and Sharon referenced last week of Genesis three fifteen. So connect some dots with me here. Uh what do you think Eve is doing now? Um, she's having a firstborn son. What is Eve beginning to think as she has her firstborn son?
1: Firstborn.
0: So am going to go back uh, to Genesis three fifteen and just read that verse for us again. God's God's promise to you and me as He's speaking to the serpent, to the deceiver.
3: Is that the word? I will make your pains and childbearing
0: very severe? No, the one verse before that, verse 15. Oh, 15. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I will cause hostility between you and the woman.
0: Can somebody read that verse for us?
1: And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed... He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel.
0: Perfect. So depending on your translation, you might see between your offspring and her offspring, or your seed seed. and her seed. Seed and her seed. Right, exactly. And so uh, scripture will use typically the the word seed or offspring to... um, Explain basically what we would call, you know, our son, our children, right? The next generation, and so you'll see, seed or line or offspring is another way of saying, "Hey, your children. Um, this is, you know, the ones who come after you." And so, so Eve is listening into this this promise that God is making you the servant serpent. That Eve, through or uh, through Eve, her children. Uh, a child, and it's specifically a, a, a male child, will crush your head, O serpent. But in crushing your head, uh, he his heel will be uh, striked by the serpent, and he will suffer a blow as well, but he will crush the serpent. So Eve is, is trying to connect some dots here and saying, Okay, so my through my seed, through my child... Um, is going to defeat the serpent, the deceiver. There's going to be some sort of war or hostility going on here. So I I think as I look at verse 1 here of chapter 4, if you flip on back, Eve is clinging to that promise. She's saying, hey, I just had a firstborn son, and God promised that a son of mine is going to stomp on the head of the serpent, the one who deceived us and got us kicked out of the garden, right? So I think that's Eve's first inclination is to start thinking, hey, this son right here I just had. He, he's the promised one, is, is, is her hope. Um, all right, somebody pick up verse two. Verse two. We'll, we'll start picking up some momentum here. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel.
1: And, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground.
0: Alright, okay. so, so verse two there again, she so bore his brother Abel. Now Abel is a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And so now they've got two sons, uh, which will matter a little bit in the stories. We keep going back to Genesis 3:15, and we think about these two lines, these two kind of camps of hostility going on, you're gonna see something there. Um so okay, so Abel is a keeper of the sheep. And then Cain's a worker of the ground. Just make note of that. And then somebody read verses 3 through 5. 3 through 5.
1: When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought get, brought a gift, that the best portion of a, of the firstborn's lamb from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel's, Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked and he looked dejected.
0: Nice. Thank you, you, Grace. All right, so what just took place there now in the story with these two brothers, Cain and Abel? Well, God
3: liked Cain's sacrifice, but I mean Abel's sacrifice, but he had he didn't like Cain's, and mm-hmm. I don't
0: understand why. Yeah, and you know, scholars and Bible students and Christians have debated for years of like, what was it about Abel's and, and so forth? And I think there's some good clues in here. Sean Young, is there anything you would throw out there as far as uh, maybe why God would have regard for Abel's and not Cain's, or, or maybe arguments you've heard there?
4: Yeah, um, man. There's a lot in that verse uh, mm-hmm. that we can talk about for a long time. Um, I know that in Hebrews four, it talks about. It's, it's really interesting because part of the argument about this is that it wasn't actually a sacrifice, but an offering. And apparently, they've made a, folks have made a distinction that this was just an offering to God and not a sacrifice. But Hebrews four makes it pretty clear that it is, in fact, a sacrifice. And there was, uh, even though it's not um, uh, clarified in Genesis, there's still, uh, according to Leviticus, before Leviticus, there still was a a um, requirement for a blood sacrifice to cover sins. And we see that in Genesis 3 when God covers them with animal skins. Does, does that make sense, guys? mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. Are you, you, you saying, guys, Sean, are you saying, well, okay? How do you do a blood sacrifice with crops? Yeah. You, you, yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> you, you don't, but if God, Dennis, um, I, I think the, the requirement of a blood sacrifice for the atonement of sin is, um, not dependent upon your occupation, um, Remember, Cain being the firstborn is going to take, uh, in Hebrew culture, the firstborn generally takes on the same uh, occupation as the father. And and um, Adam was a tiller of the ground, and therefore Cain was going to be a tiller of the ground. But that doesn't negate his responsibility to God to atone for sin. So how he acquires a blood sacrifice I you know I, I don't know probably like a leather maker or a leather worker or a, or a carpenter or whatever I think we're all called to to provide the same thing to God. Um, so I think I think um, going back Hebrews four makes it clear it says that God found Abel's sacrifice more acceptable uh, than 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 Cain's, uh, and it was because it was a blood
0: sacrifice. Mm-hmm. What verse is that there, Sean, in Hebrews 4? What's that? Uh, what verse is that in Hebrews 4?
4: Uh, I don't know. I'd have to go okay. Let me go back look I'll, real I'll,
0: quick. I'm scanning it here. I'll see if I find it.
1: When I read, I interpret it as, Cain didn't bring his best of his fruits and his offerings. Mm-hmm. And that, right. That's well, how I did too.
3: Did. That would yeah. make sense. That yeah, would that make could, a lot of sense, but so it just, well, just there's, there's going It on wasn't here wasn't satisfactory, but given no reason why it's not satisfactory, that leads us to our
4: own imagination. Um, so there there's a there's a couple there's a lot of stuff going on here as yeah. well. Um, um, yes, I, I, Sharon, I think you're 100 percent right. That's a great observation. Because Scripture says that um, he brought an offering of the ground. And and the words in the course of time uh, that's used in that verse tend to uh, paint the picture that in Cain's time, that that he he brought uh, an offering of the ground. And it was just a simple offering. But it says in the very next verse, or I guess in the same verse, uh, no, the the next, um, that... Uh, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, and their fat. Yep. So you're 100 on track that it was absolutely about um, Abel bringing the best he had, whereas Cain <laughs> just brought something. But there's something deeper here mm-hmm. um, going on with the with the type of offering that was that was brought. Um, and again, going over to actually, David, I'm sorry, it was Hebrews 11:4.
0: Oh, Hebrews 11.4. Okay.
4: Yeah, it talks about a more acceptable sacrifice. Um, and so it, it, it makes clear that it was a sacrifice in Hebrews and not just an offering as conveyed mm. in, in this. So so <laughs> I'm going to stop there because there's there's a, a lot more in there that I think maybe we could talk through as we move forward. That's really don't good.
0: Yeah, thank you, Sean. That's really helpful. I, I realize I loved you, a uh, really hard question. <laughs> but actually, I'm really glad I did because um, I hadn't seen that in Hebrews 11.4. So did you get jot that down, guys, and read that on your own time? But I think that's a really good observation. If we were to take Sharon's observation and then Sean's, I think there's value to seeing actually those two at work together. The first is, if you guys go back to Genesis 3, verse 21, as Sean referenced for us, God, right away after Adam and Eve has sinned, start, starts to kind of introduce this idea of atonement. This idea that an innocent sacrifice, or the sacrifice of something innocent, the shedding of the blood of an innocent animal, can cover Um, the sinfulness of another this idea of substitutionary atonement is is what we would call it in the Christian circle and so God introduces this idea because and we talked about this a few weeks ago that well what what did those animals do wrong they didn't do anything wrong they but yet God must have slaughtered these animals and then cover Adam and Eve with their skins Um, such a cool picture that we'll see develop yeah Sean go ahead just, just a quick
4: question uh, to, the, to the group regarding this particular passage. What does this reveal about the difference between Cain and Abel?
2: Okay, um, the way I see it, um, Cain being the first, usually, they, they take on the, the job of what the father has. So it's passed down, so he's basically a keeper of the ground and since the ground was cursed he's he's working very hard you know to to grow those crops and i think because of his hardship he's comparing himself and there's jealousy that's that's uh building up in himself because his brother was a shepherd you know keeper of the flock so he's comparing himself his his um his purpose, he's a keeper of a cursed ground, and and Abel has the easier job of just tending to be to the sheep. And so he, he, he kind of like, uh, uh, how do I say it? His relationship with God is not as strong as Abel because of that jealousy that's building up between mm-hmm. him and his brother. And so when yeah. it's time to bring an offering to God, he... Doesn't really care what he brings God. He'll just provide an offering because mm-hmm. that's what expected. Unlike with Abel, he has a better relationship with God, and so he brings him brings God the best of what he has to offer. Mm-hmm. That's my take on that.
4: That's good. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Um, yeah. Does it? Do, do you guys see that this really reveals the heart difference between Cain and Abel? Exactly what you said, Andy. Abel has a, a good relationship with God and brings God what he wants, but Cain doesn't bring God what he wants. What's interesting about that, they both brought something, so they acknowledge that God is worthy of, of, of a gift or a sacrifice or an offering, but Cain doesn't bring what God wants. And so my question is, what does that reveal about Cain, um, Cain's heart toward God? Uh, with with the with the offering that he brought, what is it? What does a blood offering do? Dave kind of talked about it a little bit before.
0: I see. I what, see, or go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please. I was just gonna say, I see in the heart of Cain this idea of, uh, well, this is good enough. Yeah. You know, like this yeah. this will this will be enough. I can kind of approach or give God what I want, um whereas Abel is more so this is the specific thing that God has showed us and given to us to atone for our sins, and so yeah. some would call Abel narrow minded <laughs> and some would call Cain open minded, <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah um. Would you would you say, Dave? Let me ask you because you talked about it earlier about uh, atonement. Would you say that this is a this is an admission by action that Cain doesn't even acknowledge his need for atonement?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's leaning. And in light of your Hebrews eleven four text, I like I said this I got to process a little bit because I hadn't seen that in Hebrews eleven four. I I think absolutely that's what the story is pointing us to. And if I if I were to just take it and run with it and apply it to our modern day context, how many times do you hear people say there's many ways to God? Um, there's all these routes to God. And, you know, I think the Muslims are finding their way to, or, you know, the Islam's finding its way to God. And the Mormons are finding their way to God. And the Buddhists are finding their way to God. and And Christians are finding their way where I think, God very clearly lays out, especially John 14, 6-7, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am your act of substitution. I am your act of the innocent animal slain on your behalf. My blood spilled out. My innocent blood spilled out. Um, as as your sacrifice, I'm the way. There is no other way. And so I, I think there's, I don't know, in, in light of what you're showing, Sean, I, I think there's a good argument to be made that that uh, Cain or Abel is, is acknowledging God's given us a way for our sins to be covered. I'm going to choose that way. And I'm going to trust God's way. Cain seems to be like, well, I worked hard these are pretty good looking vegetables. I'll throw these on the altar and we'll call it good. You know, (laughs) I don't know. That's, that's where I would lean in light of our conversation this morning. But what do you, what are you seeing? Um, I
4: think, I I guess my focus would be, or or that my focus question would be if Cain brought the first and the best of his crop, would it have been acceptable to God as a sacrifice? Mm. Oh. Pardon me? That's
0: interesting. It's mm. a great question.
4: Um, who asked that? Who, who Was that you, Dave? I'm sorry? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting to say that. I what never think of it like that. Um, and I would say, based upon uh, Hebrews, and there's not a lot that you kind of have to dig in order to get to the heart of this pretty deep, but I would say that, again, um, because this is a sacrifice and an admission of guilt and a way of atonement, I would say that even if Cain brought the best of the ground, just as Dave said, it would be, an, it would be a move um, trying to appease God in a way that he did not ask for. Mm-hmm. He he is asking for a blood sacrifice for atonement, and so I would say no. Mm-hmm. I would say it would reveal maybe his heart was a little bit different, yeah. Um, maybe not understanding what the sacrifice did, but I would say God still would not be satisfied with that sacrifice.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. Wouldn't you say it's kind of almost parallel to what God told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? They both knew, and yet they did it. So in Cain and Abel's case, I would assume that Cain knew that that's what God expected from him as well.
4: Yeah.
2: You know, disregarded regarded what God wanted and just did what he wanted on his own.
4: Yeah, and when we go back to three and we see that God clothed them properly, um, you know, we, we don't we're not privy to the conversation that took place, but I suspect that there was some type of of explanation uh of of what uh what was needed to atone for sin to adam and eve um yeah i i i just i suspect that i don't know that for sure but i i would think that that's true based upon moving right into four and they start they start talking about different types of sacrifice or un, yeah. unacceptable sacrifices versus
0: acceptable. that's good sean thank you for bringing that this morning that that I got to do some more studying on that, but I just dropped in the group chat there, Hebrews 9.22, I think to support what uh, Sean also brought out out of Hebrews 11. I think Hebrews it brings good light on this, but Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, right, there is no forgiveness of sins. So God is clearly laid out it has to be life for life. And matter of fact, throughout Scripture, I, I have yet to like get my mind around this. But God emphasizes life blood a lot. The, the, that there is life in the blood. There, there's something about human blood, or there's just something about blood that there's just life in it, right? And I've asked kind of like some medical people, what is it about blood that's so like amazing, um, and uh, so, other than being amazing, right? And uh, but God really stresses the significance of blood, and so it just makes me think that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Well, how much blood did Cain have to shed for their for his sacrifice? If you think about
3: it, it wouldn't matter what he brought. Say that again. Uh, going, going, following your theory your line of logic it wouldn't matter
0: what brought explain that? that a little more yeah it wouldn't matter
3: what sacrifice king brought whether he brought the finest of everything it's not a blood sacrifice right. so therefore it's unacceptable exactly so he's 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 done in from the from the very beginning
0: <laughs> i mean he could bring the fattest Best juiciest watermelon, right? Or let's say cantaloupe. Dave and Sharon. He brings (laughs) the best cantaloupe ever. And God's like, "There's no blood in that. There's no. There was no. Yeah, but he sacrificed his brother. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) yeah. He's like, "You want blood? I'll give you blood. Uh, I'm
3: I'm, I'm being serious. He sacrificed it. You know, God wanted blood, so he gave it to him.
0: Yeah, that's true." Wow that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. I never way.
2: thought of it that way. Yeah,
0: that is really interesting. Uh, so if 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 it doesn't matter what
3: Cain Cain oh. can do no right.
0: I think that's then how Cain feels.
3: Well, it's oh, yeah. it's very obvious if following your following your your line of logic, it's very obvious he doesn't matter what he does.
0: It's not going to be enough. Which is a good segue. Go into, somebody read verse 6 and 7, and Mm -hmm. I want to hold on to that thought, Dennis. So somebody read 6 and 7, and and let me respond to that.
3: The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. It is desire, it, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it.
0: So, so many good things in there, and I, <laughs> I'll just lead out there at the beginning. We'll come back to it, but I want to talk about what Dennis just brought up. First of all, notice that in his anger, uh, when Cain is angry, how does God approach him? You see questions again, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. That's so important to the story as well. Uh, but Dennis, to your point, look at the Lord say, "Hey Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted?" So I think God is clearly saying, Cain, here here is what must be done to be accepted, to be acceptable, to be in relationship with Me, right? And if you do that, like welcome in, you're accepted. Um, and so I. Well, it's I light. I think Cain feels like he can do no right, but God is making it clear that, hey, look at what your brother did. He offered blood, and we're good. Do what is right, and we're good. But if not, <laughs> sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, and, and it will rule over you, but you must master it. So does that make well, sense? The problem is Cain has no blood to give.
3: Yeah. Um, he has no blood sacrifice. So it doesn't matter what he does. He can't win.
0: Oh, I disagree.
3: I, I mean yeah. – what, what, what would sacrifice have been there?
2: Well, – what, what,
3: what is Cain's blood sacrifice?
0: Well, his sacrifice could easily be, um, yeah, taken from the, the flock of Abel. I mean there's a there's a bartering system. There's a – I mean, just like I think Sean was referencing earlier, if you were a carpenter or leather maker, it doesn't mean you go sacrifice leather on the altar. No, I mean, you you would exchange, and I mean, we see this all throughout the story, you exchange your hard work to buy a firstborn uh, lamb without blemish, and then you sacrifice that. So I think it would be a matter of Cain going to Abel and saying, hey, can I trade you some of the first... And my first fruits for one of your firstborn sheep, you know, I I think it's as simple as that, but I know, would you guys see it differently?
4: Dave, to add to that, when we, when the the rest of scripture, we see exactly that where folks will trade their money or their goods for an acceptable sacrifice to bring into the temple or or to the altar. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that Cain being a keeper of the ground limited him to just offerings of the ground. I think he had opportunity to to bring what God requested. Yeah.
0: You know what's cool, too, is later on in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, God lays out um, the shedding of blood and what animals need to be sacrificed. But you know what's cool is, is God's heart for the poor. So he doesn't say, hey, yeah. you have to sacrifice this firstborn sheep no matter what. He actually leaves room for the really down and out, and so he goes all. So he kind of lowers the tiers depending on the financial bracket you're in, and he, he takes it all the way down to if you if you're really poor, um, then you you can sacrifice two doves. Um, and all the way down to like, but hey, it's still the shedding of blood, but I know that's all you can scrape together, and it's still a big sacrifice for you because you had to purchase it. You had to make a sacrifice to purchase these two doves. What's fascinating, I don't have to go into it too long, is it, it says that um, Jesus's parents, Joseph and Mary, when they went to sacrifice, sacrificed two doves. So we know that Jesus grew up in, in what is guess to be a really financially poor, low economy of a family. Um, But God is always making room or a way. He's not expecting you to be filthy rich and like, you got to have the best sheep and all this. No, like whatever, wherever you find yourself financially, I will make sure you have a way. Um, But it's still a sacrifice. It still takes um, some giving up and letting go, right? So... Does that make sense, Dennis? Or, or do you still feel like Cain is, is trapped?
3: Well, following the, the logic, your, your logical mm-hmm. theory, first off, he could go to his brother and say, Hey, you know, I, I need something to do this with. Right. And his brother would say, Okay, what do you have for me? Well, I have, well, my sheep and everything eat off the ground. I don't need anything that you have. So, uh, again, he's now having, it, it, following your logic, he has to buy the sacrifice to give to God, to bring a blood sacrifice. And I find that pretty disturbing.
1: It's still hmm. sacrificial, though. He has to. It's a payment. It's a payment.
3: Yeah, but I mean, he, he could have bought the best of He could have brought the best of his crops. But according to this verse, um, I guess he's jealous of, of what Abel is able to accomplish, mm-hmm. no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he feels he can't do anything right. Doesn't it matter is- what he does, he can't do anything right. We have <coughs> children. You, you've been a child and said, hey, I can't do anything, I can't please my parents in any way. The level of frustration he must have felt to initially to, to finally kill his brother
4: has got to be tremendous. Dennis, I might let me, let me back you up just a little bit. Um, God says, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So I think God needs. What's, well. simply- what, what's right? What, what does he have to do that's right? He needs to bring a blood sacrifice. That, that's, that's, that's the, yeah, he needs, he needs to bring a blood sacrifice. So that's doing well. Um, th- this is also when you say frustration, I think there, I think there's probably some truth to that. If you consider that Cain was the firstborn and in their culture, the firstborn was pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, Cain wasn't acceptable to God, but Abel, the second born, was. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right about the jealousy. I think there was some tension there um, that Abel, the second born, received favor from God rather than the first born. So I think you're on track with something there. I think maybe the, missing, the only missing mark would be that um, that he still, regardless, requires us to— to uh, require them uh, a blood sacrifice in order to be acceptable, in order to atone for sin. Because we know right after Genesis 3, everybody was a sinner. And so that atonement was necessary. Well, does that make sense? He never, but he never asked God, what, what do I need to do to make it right? I think it implies by Abel's offering that they both knew. I think it implies by, uh, God covering them in the garden that Adam and Eve both knew. And I think it applies in Hebrews or makes it pretty clear in Hebrews that that they also knew that, that what, what was required of God. I don't think God would require something of you so big and not make it clear to us.
0: Yeah, and what I like about your argument, Dennis, is I think it's the gospel. Like if you really lay it out, that is the gospel is that you and I should become so exasperated, so frustrated, so discouraged at our lack, our ability to be good enough for God, to 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 meet the standard of what we're made to be as human, that we throw up our hands and we say I can't do it. I can't meet the standard. I I you know, and so it drives us to this place of like I'm called to be as perfect as Jesus. I'm called to, to be as loving and sacrificial and kind and generous and compassionate as Jesus. I can't do that. That's not fair, God, if you want to take that route. And you're driven to such an exasperation and, like, helplessness that you say, I I need help. And so I, I think that's, in a sense, as far as argument goes, to the place that Adam, that Cain should be driven to of, like, Yeah, there is nothing I can do that's good enough um, except the way that God has given me. There's one way that God has given me to be acceptable to him. I will do that way. So to answer your question, what does it mean to do well or what does it mean to do right from verse 7? To do right is, is to choose God's one way that he's given you to be acceptable in his sight. And so I think it's the gospel, you know? It to to be so frustrated. I don't. I don't think it's a son feeling beat down and unable to make his dad happy. I, I think it's it's a it's someone who's coming to the end of themselves and realizing that they uh, all the ways they've tried are not going to work. Uh, only the way God has offered and invited you in will work. So does that make sense? Well,
3: yeah, but like I said,
0: none of us. None no, of us
3: can measure up on our own.
4: Yeah, I agree. Dave, that, that <laughs> I was agree. Another, that was yeah. That was such a nice little bow you put on that.
0: That <laughs> was, that, I that love was that. my six fifty-eight. Can... That was my six fifty-eight uh, bow right there. <laughs> yeah. That no, was Dennis, so as good. always, I want you to know I I love the pushback. It sharpens me, and I think it sharpens all of us to be good Bible students. And, man, I've I learned some new things this morning. I wasn't expecting to go this route, um, but some things that Sean brought out of Hebrews, I think, really make me want to study it some more. I think I think there's gospel all over this. Of um, mm-hmm. God has made an acceptable way for us to be made right with him if we will choose his way. If we try and find our own way, phew, not a chance for you and me. Well, um, hey, that's that's pretty obvious. Yeah. So, you know, once you learn about Christ, it
4: becomes obvious.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Dennis, what you're telling me is we've been arguing the same thing for 30 minutes.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Dave and Sharon are nodding their head like, yeah. And Anne's like, yeah.
4: And has got a like question.
0: What, what were you going to
2: say, Anne? Oh, I was just going to say that, I mean, like, As humans, when we love someone, going back to love again, um, we want to please them and we want to do our best. It's just in our nature, I would think. Unless, you know, like you go to a birthday party and (coughs) let's say your parent, you love your parents, so you go out of your way to please them and bring them or give them what they want, you know, and and if you don't have it, you will ask someone else, oh, can I, you know, uh, can I make a deal with you? I have this and you have that, but that's what I really want for my mom or dad. Can I trade with you? You know? But if you really don't care about that person, it's like, oh, I'll just get him or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Right?
0: If
2: you don't care about anybody, you don't care what you get.
0: Them. Yeah.
4: That's good. Ann. Yeah, you're bringing it out of obligation rather than heart, right, Ann? Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: I mean, how many,
3: how many families do you know that one of the children can't – feels that they can't please their parents? doesn't matter what they do, how good they do it. It's just never enough.
0: hmm
3: Yeah. Why, why didn't that's you... the frustration I think Cain felt.
0: Yeah.
4: Fortunately with God, though, Dennis – he makes it pretty clear with us of what he requires, and if we bring that, he says, "If you do well, will you not be accepted?" And so, he's making it pretty clear. Um, it's not that he that Abel, or excuse me, that Cain is unable to please God. It's that Cain was unwilling to please God.
3: It's interesting because in my translation, it says "right" instead of "well." <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. So, yeah. Interestingly enough, that word right and righteous, um, yeah, we'll we'll get into that next week.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) all right, guys, it was a good, it was a good wrestle through the weeds this morning, but I think necessary, so, um, yeah, that I'll probably put some more studying into that myself this week. So, I, I, as always, I appreciate when we got to talk around some verses and. Go back and forth; it, it really sharpens me. So let's keep doing that. Um, I think we'll we'll pick up and probably finish the story of Genesis four next week, and then uh, I know Sean really wants to catch some momentum there. Genesis five through twelve really begin to just tell them tell themselves um, the the story just will flow really quickly, but. I I love our times here this morning. I'm man. I I'm seeing the gospel all over Genesis four like I never have before because of this morning. So I'm really thankful for that. <laughs> so A I really I'm about, grateful for yeah,
3: that. I tell you I have questions. I have lots of questions about four. Yeah.
0: And yeah, I may well, be
3: wasting group's time.
0: No, no, it may. No. Yeah. I mean yeah, how do you get, let if I can just open it up, you guys be honest, how do you guys feel about this morning? Was it frustrating to you that we we took this long or are you guys okay with this kind of pace? And be honest. Or let me ask it this way. If if <laughs> we'll just be blunt here, if you guys are frustrated <laughs> by some of Dennis's questions and how long we're taking, um, then I will gladly say, Sean and I. How about you and I spend some time with Dennis offline, and we can work through this together? But if you guys want to be a part of those conversations, let's take our time. What would your preference be, guys? I think I
4: appreciate Dennis. Okay. Question.
0: Okay. Cool. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and right. I
1: like everybody's. Uh, Point of view and input. That's how we learn and go, mm-hmm. wow, I didn't even think of that. Good. You Good. know, with the questions.
0: Well, Dennis, it's unanimous. Keep asking the questions. Yeah,
4: yeah. Okay. And you were going to. Dennis, also know that, uh, you know, we usually talk uh, once in a while through the, through the week recently because I've been so busy, but. Let's let's spend some time on uh on the phone or in person talking through some of those questions that might uh that, 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 that might be able to be answered offline. If it's something that's frustrating you and you oh, feel no, like frustrating. What's that? It's not frustrating me.
3: I'm just trying to get some feedback from folks yeah. that are knowledgeable.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, if, if
3: everybody in this group,
0: yeah, absolutely. And if everybody's good with this pace and kind of, I, I get so encouraged and pushed and challenged by the back and forth. So if everybody's on board with that, then yeah, Dennis, keep asking the questions, everybody keep asking the questions. And, um, and I think you were going to say something a minute ago, and I think about three of us cut you off.
2: <laughs> I just want to read um, some notes that I took from last week. You know, from what you and Sean were, were saying last week, um, God's spirit within us helps us, renews us, restores us to walk in love and obedience. Outside of that, we are just doing it on our own, selfishly motivated.
0: Hmm, That's good. That's really good. Thank you, Anne. Bringing it back full circle. I love it. Well, guys, I... I did. I really enjoyed this morning. It got me fired up. So <laughs> I love it. So, well, let's do that. Um, and I, I appreciate Sean's invitation. Let's just open that up to everybody. I, I say, keep asking questions. Let's keep learning as a group. But also, if there are things that are kind of nagging you throughout the week, give give Sean or me a call. And man, we love, as you can tell, we love talking Genesis. So don't hesitate to pick up the phone and we'll do one on one a bit throughout the week too. So. You good with that, Sean? Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Um, can you do me a it's favor? Fun, it's fun to process as a group too. Hey, Dave, can you do me a favor? Yes. Will you call and complain to AT and <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: know.
3: A lot of good. Now. You're, you're 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 making this long sentence, and all of a sudden you stop.
0: Ah. That's the worst. <laughs> I'm really good at long sentences, though. you got to give me credit for that.
3: Oh, no question about it. And, and there's lots of fruit in there. <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll just talk faster. Yeah. Well, guys, let me pray for us. We'll call it a morning, and then we'll pick up uh, Genesis 4 next week. All right. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness, your kindness in our life. Um, thank you that you have made a way. Thank you for the way, the truth, the life, in Jesus. And so we recognize that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so we thank you for the shedding of the blood of your Son on our behalf, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute, the innocent one who died for us. And so we accept your way the only way. And we don't doubt it or question it. We just say thank you for the way. So thank you, Jesus, for your life and substitution for our life. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.